Amen. Well, may I encourage you to come on Wednesday night as we'll be looking at Romans again. Um, and you have an opportunity to ask questions if you, if you like. But we're in Romans chapter 5. And we are speaking again about this wonderful gospel. The gospel of God. And we come to um, this part of Romans 5 where Paul mentions three times the word rejoicing. Rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. You see, the Christian life is meant to be a life of rejoicing. Um, When I was younger, I used to go to a church and I sat at the back of the church every Sunday and it seemed like I was at a funeral service every single Sunday. So dead. And you sit at the back and you used to count how many ladies are wearing hats at the back of the church. Then when you finish counting the ladies wearing the hats, you start counting the men who haven't got any hair at the back of the church and you start counting them as well. And then when you've done that, you think to yourself, well, I think I'll keep myself awake because you're going to sleep. And so you decided to open up a suite. I'm telling you, have you ever opened up a suite in a funeral service? Everybody turns around to see what you're doing. Because it's so dead. And I think this is called a worship service. And yet it seems like there's deadness all around. Well, I don't know if you've been experiencing that. I grew up in a church like that. And it's so sad. Because the Christian life is meant to be a life of rejoicing. And Paul turns around and he, and he uses that and he says, okay, if that's the case, he said, well, we need to rejoice over three things. First of all, we need to rejoice over the assurance of being rescued. We need to rejoice over the assurance of being rescued. And here's the verse. He says, and we rejoice in a hope of the glory of God. Last week, I put this verse up as well. Here it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, everybody has sinned and everybody has not made a standard that God wants them to make. Everyone has sinned and everybody has fallen short of God's wonderful standard. But, says Paul, we rejoice in something else. We're not like those who have fallen short of God's standard. No, no, no. We rejoice because now we have been rescued by God. We have been lifted up from the gutter of life. For being in the drains of sin and despair. And God has rescued us. He has delivered us. And he has placed us in a position where we can reflect the glory of God. I rejoice, says Paul, that I am no longer in a gutter. I rejoice that I'm reflecting God's glory. I'm reminded of, um, of Moses in the Old Testament. Every time he went in to speak to God in prayer. He came out, and the Bible said his face was radiant. The reason why his face was radiant, the reason why his face was shining, because he was reflecting something of the glory of God upon his physical appearance. But I want to tell you this morning, 
when God has rescued you from sin, when God has delivered you from the gutter of despair and the gutter of life, he comes and he rescues you and he causes you to reflect his glory. That's why there's something to rejoice about. When you wake up in the morning, whether it's Monday morning or a Sunday morning, doesn't matter if you're coming to church or you're going to work. Doesn't matter if it's sunny or if it's raining. You can rejoice in the fact that you have been rescued by God. Praise be the Lord. I might be lost. I might be confused. I might be a sinner bound for hell and damnation. But God has rescued me in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this morning. Are you rescued this morning? Do you know that you're rescued this morning? If you do, then you have cause to rejoice. That's the first thing that Paul says about the assurance of being rescued. How about this one? He says you can be assured, you can rejoice about being rescued, but also you can be rejoice over the assurance of being reconciled. And here's this wonderful verse, he says again, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We rejoice because we have now received reconciliation. In fact, this is what is understood by that. God looked at you And in Jesus Christ, he realized that you were separated outside of Christ. And he looked at you and God wanted to reconcile you to himself. The verse that I want to show you this morning, this verse, it says this. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away. By nailing it to the cross. God cancelled the written charges that were against you. Here it is. A long list of things that you've done wrong. Here it is. The big sins that you've done wrong. And the minor sins that you call minor. Here they all are listed before God. If we were to take all your sin and put it on the screen here, you all would be embarrassed and ashamed. And here they all are, listed the things that you've done wrong, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you wish you could wipe out from your history. It's all there, written. What has God done? God has taken them and he's nailed them to the cross. He's nailed them to the cross in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your debt has been cancelled. Amen? Your debt has been wiped out. You know, I know a man who owed another man £25,000. This only happened a few weeks ago. He owed this man £25,000. And in the morning, just one day, this man decided to cancel the debt. Isn't that amazing? Just imagine that was you. 
owing £25,000 and someone cancel your debt, you'd be around his house every day. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? You'd be twenty-five grand wiped out of my account just like that. And I owe it as well. I owed every penny and I used it as well. And he wiped out the debt completely. It's a true story. I'm not making this up. But I want to tell you this morning, you owe God a greater debt than a financial debt. You owe God a greater debt. Your sin has mounted up. Your sin is huge and big and ugly. And that is a debt that you cannot pay. And God says, I've cancelled it. I've nailed it to the cross. There it is. You see Jesus Christ nailed on that cross. You see him wounded and broken. You see him. He is nailed to that cross. And that death has cancelled your sin. Amen. Oh, what a rejoicing. That's what a Christian life meant to be about. If you wake up on a Monday morning and say, praise God, my debt has been cancelled. I'm free. I'm sinless because God has cancelled my sin. That is a cause of rejoicing. I can rejoice because I'm rescued. I can rejoice because I'm reconciled to God. What a, what, I love preaching like that this morning. I love preaching good news. I preach good news all, every week, actually. But this is absolutely wonderful that we can rejoice because we are reconciled and rescued to God. And so he, that's his second reason for rejoicing. But he also says you can rejoice over the assurance of being remembered. And here's the verse. He says this. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now hold on, preacher, you're going too far. Hold on. I was with you in your first point. I like that. That was nice. I've been rescued. I was with you on your second point, and I like that as well. I have been reconciled. But preacher, you're going too far. What do you mean? That I can rejoice in my suffering. Well, let's first of all tell you what it does not mean. It's always helped to tell you what it does not mean before you tell you what it does mean. First of all, it does certainly does not mean that you go out looking for suffering. Some Christians, I've got to tell you this, some Christians get on your nerves. <laughs> And all you want to do is give them a slap. And when they receive that slap, they complain that they're suffering. No, you're not suffering. You deserve to be slapped. Because you have been such an annoyance and a useless in your workplace or in your family. And sometimes you deserve to be told off. That's not suffering. It also does not mean that you revel in your suffering. You're happy. Happy to lose your property. Happy to lose a child. Happy to lose a wife. Happy to lose your health. And you're just going to smile all the way through it. And because you're, 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 you're happy that these things have taken place. No, it does not mean that either. Neither does it mean that you 
are sharing in Christ's suffering by inflicting suffering on yourselves. Over in Rio, they nailed, at Easter, some people nailed themselves to crosses. Do you know that? They actually nailed themselves to crosses to identify with Jesus. Or the Catholic Church in the past used to whip themselves in order to share in Christ's sufferings. It does not mean that either. It also does not mean that you make yourself homeless and penniless and you walk around in rags and you sit around and say things like, well, I'm not going to work because I'm a Christian and I don't want to work anyway and so now I'm homeless. I'm suffering from Christ. No, you're lazy. And you're not suffering. Go out and get a job. Doesn't mean that. You know, the Bible does not make light of suffering. It seems it is serious business. Painful business. We understand from the Bible that God says precious are the death of his saints. We understand from the Bible that God keeps a record of your tears. Do you know that? It's as if he has a bottle and he stores your tears up in a bottle and he keeps a record of your tears. We understand from the Bible that God comforts those who mourn. That he's near to the brokenhearted. We understand from the Bible that Jesus was sent for many reasons and one of the reasons why he was sent was to mend Those with broken hearts. We understand in the Bible that there's Christians who've gone through great difficulties. In Hebrews 11, we read these words. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. Destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in desert and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These things bring pain. They bring tears. They bring great loss. And they are not to be taken lightly. But Paul says, I not only rejoice that I'm rescued, I'm not only rejoicing that I am reconciled to God. But I'm also rejoicing in my suffering. You see, when you rejoice, you rejoice on things that is based on truth. And so in Romans 5... Paul says this about what is based on truth. Let's read the whole verse again. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know something. What do we know? We know that God is at work. That's what we know. We rejoice in our suffering, says Paul, because we know that God is working. Now, what is God working? What is he doing? Well, first thing we see in our reading is that we are, in our suffering, we realize that God is at work producing perseverance. I'm not a runner. 
Um, but um, I used to try to run as a youngster, but I don't do any running now, except on controlled conditions um, on a treadmill. But Mo Farah is a runner, isn't he? We can know Mo Farah. He's a runner. I believe he got knighted by the Queen the other the other day. Here is a man who knows what it is to persevere. Can you imagine running ten thousand meters? And as you run 10,000 meters, you know, as you're running half, you just want to give up. You know, you just want to grab, you know, a Big Mac or something, you know. You know, you don't want to carry on running another 5,000 meters. And yet, you know, Mo Farah was a man who knew that in his training sessions, he had to keep on going. He knew that in a race, he had to keep on going and run faster, even though his body might be screaming out, saying, you know, stop, ref, I can't take anymore. Mo Farah knows what it is to go and to persevere through the pain of training and running a race. And now he kneels before the queen and gets knighted by her. You see, this is what God is doing. When God is working in you, when God is allowing you to go through some suffering, you can rejoice. Why? Because you know that God is working in you. He's doing something in you and he's causing you to persevere. I like what uh, Paul turns around and says this. I have fought the good fight, he says. I have finished the race. In other words, I have fought and persevered. I have run and I've persevered. I have kept the faith, he says. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, but not only to me, says Paul, but to all who love or long for his appearing. In other words, every single man, Every single woman who's persevering, who's running the race, who's keeping the faith, who's in the fight, God is going to crown them with a crown of righteousness. Amen? That's why Paul is saying, I can rejoice in my suffering because I know that God is doing something in me. That's why I can rejoice. But not only does he say that I can rejoice because God is doing something in me, he turns around and he says that, um, let's go back to the verse again. Stop it there. Perseverance, he says, produces character. So the verse here says, not only so, but we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance going through. And perseverance character. Now, we often admire people who have strength of character. We often look at people whose characters are strong. Jesus gives a wonderful picture of the strength that could be developed in someone's character through suffering. Let me say it again. Jesus, when he spoke, he gives a picture of the strength that can be developed in someone's character through suffering. And here's his picture. Some of you know this picture very well. Here it is. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This person faces the storms of life. This person faces the winds of affliction. This person faces the the, the rising tide of problems all in his life. But because his house was built upon the word of God, because he was built upon Christ, that house stood firm. Now, I'm not putting the verses up, but Jesus goes on later on and he says about the house that is not built upon his word. Not built upon obedience. Built on the sand. You see, every prob- everybody has problems. Everybody has difficulties. Everybody goes through suffering. Whether you're in church or whether you're outside a church. Whether you find yourself in the boot sales this morning or you find yourself in the house of God. Every single person will go through suffering. But a person who builds their house or their life upon the rock which is Christ are strengthened even through their suffering. They may not understand it. They may not know why they're going through it. But instead of the other person who looks at their suffering, falls apart, are completely confused, this person who is walking with Christ And built their life upon the rock which is the Lord. Knows that God is at work. Praise be to God. And so he turns around and he says that God is working in that person's life. You can rejoice not only that um, you're, you're rescued. You can rejoice not only that you're reconciled. But you can rejoice because you are remembered by God as well but also he turns around and and he speaks again um, in our reading not only so but we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope Christian rejoices in suffering because he knows That God is working in him and giving him a hope. That is, an assurance, a confidence in God. This insurance, this confidence in God is because God is giving them a hope. And hope does not disappoint us, he says, because God is doing something. God is pouring his love into our hearts. You see, when you're going through suffering, some Christian turn around and say things like, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. If God loved me, he wouldn't put me through this mess I'm going through. They don't realize that at the time they're going through suffering, God is showing more love to them than they will ever even realize. Let me show you uh, what happened to this uh, family. Some of you know the story of Lazarus. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. 
Jesus turns up, and here we read in John chapter 11, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Not only did Martha love him, not only did Mary love him, but Jesus also was involved in his love for that man as well. Jesus engaged. Jesus got involved in their grief. He got involved in their suffering. He got involved in their sadness. Jesus was involved. And it's so wonderful that Christ is not detached. That is why when we go through suffering, Paul says, we rejoice. Not only that I'm reconciled, not only that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm reconciled, first one rescued not only that i'm rescued reconciled and remembered but i can rejoice that jesus christ get involved with me can i encourage you to rejoice in that oh i'm going through a hard time says someone i'm not happy i'm not smiling yes i know it is difficult but you can rejoice because god is at work in you Praise be to God. Let me just wrap this sermon up because the fourth fourth area that we can rejoice in is not in the assurance of being remembered, but also the assurance of being revived. Assurance of being revived. Now we're in Romans and Paul, for the first time in Romans chapter 5, the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned. So we pass four chapters and he hasn't mentioned the Holy Spirit yet. But we come to chapter 5 and Paul, for the first time, mentions him. So what does he say about him? And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who he has given us. Now I mentioned this here because I fear people often run away with the Holy Spirit without laying the proper foundations. They like to rush in ahead, rush into Corinthians or to Romans, but we need to lay down, as Paul does, some proper foundations when you're thinking about the Holy Spirit. See, Paul here associates the Holy Spirit To aid the Christian in his or hers suffering. Paul associates the Holy Spirit to aid, to help, to revive, to come alongside the person who is finding the road difficult. And this is very important as we study the book of Romans, because we will see it again in chapter 8. But this is very important, because even Jesus also lays the same foundation. See, when Jesus was speaking to the disciples, he says this, they were grieving. Jesus was telling them that he's going to leave. Jesus was telling them that he's going to die, go on a cross. 
And so he speaks to them and he says this, Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things, these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Here we have his friends, his disciples, grieving and sorrowing because Jesus is going to go away. But Jesus turns around and says, listen, someone's going to come alongside you. Someone's going to come to comfort you, to give you strength. Who is going to come to revive you? Who is going to come to encourage these men, this discourage, this grief-stricken men? Who is it that's going to come alongside of them? Here it is. It's going to be the Holy Spirit of God. None other than him, the comforter. This is the same foundation. Jesus laid it down here with the disciples. You're grieving, you're sad, but I'm sending a comforter to you. He'll come alongside of you. And Paul as well now, in Romans, he lays it right down. We rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts. By whom? By the Holy Spirit. He's coming in. And his main job when you're suffering, the main job when you're going through hardship, is to come alongside to be the paraclete, to be the one who comes alongside of you to support, to revive the spirits of the brokenhearted. God has given us, as Christians, reasons to rejoice. Sadly, so many Christians live in a place of despondency. You know, things go wrong in their lives and they just turn around and put their hand to God's face and say, I'm not happy with you. And yet, the scripture says in Romans 5, three times, rejoice, 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 rejoice because you've been rescued by the power of God. Rejoice because you have been reconciled. Once you were separated to God from, but now you have been reconciled to him. Rejoice that my debt and my sin has been cancelled and nailed to the cross. Rejoice that I'm remembered by him. Even though I'm going through difficulty, even though I'm going through suffering, even though I'm going through heartache and brokenness, I can rejoice that God has remembered me. And I can rejoice. Because the Spirit of God comes and He revives me. He comes alongside of me. The Christian life is a life of rejoicing. Can I just close with a a hymn that a man wrote? And he wrote about his sin. And he says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. And as he was writing that, he stopped. 
My sin, not the part, but the whole of my sin. is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. And he thought, what can I add? What can I add? There's nothing more to add. So he ends his song with this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. There's nothing more I can add. My sin has been nailed to the cross. I have been reconciled, rescued, remembered, revived by God. There's nothing more that I can add. Praise the Lord, he says. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. That man was rejoicing. Christian, if you don't know how to rejoice, there's something wrong with you. You need to go to a spiritual hospital or something, man. There's something wrong with you. If you don't know how to rejoice, if these things don't excite you, if these things don't thrill you, then either you're not saved, or you don't understand what you're saved from. Because these things should excite every believer. I have been rescued. I have been reconciled. I am remembered. And I have the Holy Spirit that revives me. And so Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. For we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us why because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit may you know the refreshing of God's word may you leave this church this morning rejoicing yes Monday morning going to come up and you're raining on Monday morning the car might not start. You look into your bank account and it's a little bit low. And there's things to get sad about. But when you think about what you've got in God, then you can rejoice and give him the praise. Let's pray.